Thank you, Brother Dave. Let's come back then to John chapter 13, and we'll kind of work through our passage this morning. This morning, we kind of did an overview. We didn't look at it in detail, trying to set the setting, the overall picture of what's going on. We didn't read the portion, but in Luke 22 and in Mark 14, the Lord tells us that he sent two of his disciples in to Jerusalem where they would find a large upper room furnished and prepared. And Mark tells us there were two disciples, as Matthew does. Luke tells us it was Peter and John. So that Peter and John that went up to the temple at the hour of prayer were the ones that were sent ahead to prepare. And that's why we have come to label this the upper room discourse, although technically chapter 13 and 14 are given in the upper room, and chapter 15 and 16 and then 17 are given on the way to Gethsemane. So it's, it's, it's a somber moment. For our Lord, for his people, and we were just singing, he is more than life to me. I hope that's really true for each one of our hearts, at least increasingly, right? That we're setting aside, as the Lord shows us, those idols in the heart. We all have these idols in the heart we don't even know are there, and he gradually shows them to us. So in in chapter 13, this section beginning in verse 1 through verse 17 divides into three parts, I think. Verses 1 through 5, the event, the enacted parable, if you will, of the foot washing. And then verses 6 through 11, the instruction with regard to it. And then in verses 12 to 17, the application. So John begins in verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Remember, that's been a theme all the way through the Gospel of John, going back to chapter 2. Remember he said to his mother, woman, my hour has not yet come. And that continued to be something he referred to. Well, now the hour has come. And he referred to it again in chapter 17. His hour had come that he should depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them completely, fully, to the uttermost. And that isn't just referring to the foot washing. I think that includes the Gethsemane event and his prayer there in the garden. It includes his arrest, his humiliation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, ascension, and beginning of his high priestly ministry. He's still loving us to the uttermost, isn't he? As the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 7 and verse 25, we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. John is very careful. Not only does he name him Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, because we know there's another Judas that's in the group of the apostles, to betray him. Now the progression here to me is fascinating. John is being very careful, led by the Holy Spirit. You notice in verse 2, the devil has put it into the heart of Judas to do a very despicable thing, to betray the Son of God. And the devil can put that into your heart and mine too. (laughs) 
Not in the same way can we betray him, but we betray him when we live for self instead of for him. When we choose our own selfishness and our own pleasures ahead of the Lord Jesus' will and purposes for our lives, we're in a sense betraying him, aren't we? Not to the same extent. And remember, we we started with that theme of holiness being reflected in loyalty to the person of the Lord and to our relationship to him. That's the essence, really, I think, of what holiness is. It's a separation from the world. That's kind of the negative side of it. But the positive side of it is, is it's a loyalty to him. It's a commitment to him. That's why we want to stay pure. That's why we want to be in the word of God. That's why we want to be washing in one another's feet and all of the things that we do in service, we do it because of our loyalty in heart to him. And and that really is the big element in holiness which Judas did not know about. And I believe at this stage Judas could still have repented. And when we get down to this section, a long section, beginning in verse 18 down through verse 30, we'll see when our Lord turns to deal with dismissal of Judas. So before he gives the detailed instruction he's going to give to his own, to the eleven, to his loyal ones, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that whole wonder and awe of new covenant ministry that is all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst us, in us, and through us, and for the Lord. Before he, he has to deal with the dismissal of the pretender. And that here is where we really have to look to our Lord because they were all fooled by the pretender, and we can be fooled by pretenders too, but we need not worry. Our Lord is still the head of the church, and as we stay in prayer looking to him, he will ultimately expose them, and hopefully in time to bring them back to the Lord, if they were ones that, but they're, they pretended, and in this case for years traveled with our Lord three years, saw all the miracles, or most of them, preached the word, did miracles himself, probably as we saw in Matthew chapter 10, and yet never was born again. He just warmed a few, as it were. He never had a real relationship with the Lord. And we notice in that section, when our Lord exposes him, John is careful to say in verse 27, after the piece of bread... Satan entered him. Okay, that's a difference from verse 2. Verse 2, Satan put it in the heart of Judas to sin against the Lord. And I believe part of what our Lord's doing, which is enormous condescension on his part to wash the feet of his betrayer, he's handling his feet, he's looking right up in his face of the one. Our Lord is omniscient, so he knows Judas is not going to repent, but he's doing it anyway. What does that tell us? about sharing the gospel, even with those we think are beyond the possibility of salvation, right? Our Lord knows, and he's still washing his feet. He's still reaching out to him. He knows Judas isn't going to come to him, but he's still reaching out to him. That's the heart of God. But here, when Judas makes a decision, Judas is not a robot. Judas was not predestined to do this and had no choice over this. It's very clear in the Gospel of John, Judas made a choice, his own decision. He didn't have to take the sop. When the sop was offered to him, he could have said, Lord, he could have repented right there. I can't believe this is coming to my mind. Let me tell you what I've just done. I've met with the chief priest. We've got this plan. 
But he takes this up, and then he's demon-possessed. Satan entered him, and now he is a robot. Now he is a minion, a tool of Satan, and he would be. And so then our Lord says, what you do, do quickly. Now he moves into the command position of God says, go do it now. You made the decision, now go do it. (laughs) Sobering, isn't it? It tells us so much about the heart of God. But Jesus, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, preeminence, sovereign authority, and that he had come from God and was going to God. He came from God in the incarnation. He was going to God in the ascension. Jesus knew all this. He knows Knowing all this, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And really, in a sense, that's a picture of his incarnation and his whole earthly ministry, isn't it? He laid aside his garments of the prerogatives of deity. He didn't lay aside his deity because he can't. Deity is part of who he is. He's the God-man. But he laid aside the prerogatives of deity. They didn't bow and worship every time he entered into the room. They, they should have, and they will after his ascension, of course. John on the Isle of Patmos and so forth. So what a picture. He laid aside his garments, and then he takes them back again. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And we elaborated on that some this morning, so I won't take the time, but how intimate, how condescending, most of us would not allow even one another to wash, physically wash our feet. We're very protective of our feet usually, and, and a foot washing service can be something that's very humbling to experience, and then that way it can be good. But we don't want to make that a ritual any more than we make anything else in the Bible a ritual. But the main thrust of why he's doing this is to instruct them, and that's what moves into verse 6 through verse 11. And the key person in this portion is Peter, the apostle. So he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Something that you and I might say too. Uh, there's an element maybe of, maybe, may we say false humility? There may have been an element of true humility. I don't want to pick on Peter. There may have been an element of true humility there. But there's an element of pride there too. You're not washing my feet. If anything, I should be washing feet. Well, if you really believe that, why didn't you get up from the table and do it then, Peter? <laughs> We're all sitting around here with dirty feet. Now, they're in a triclinium, you know, so they're, they're not sitting in a chair like you and I sit. They're on their side, probably with their, on their left elbow, using their right hand if they're right-handed to take the food off the table. The table's low to the ground. They still do that in parts of the Far East and the Middle East. I find that a little uncomfortable. I get cramps in my hips and my legs and my elbow. But, you know, if you're used to doing that, I guess, you know, it works. But that's how. So the other person, your your feet are right up there near the head, nose, face of a person while they're eating. So you can see how it would be 
nice to have the feet washed and clean before partaking of the meal. But here they've partaken of the meal and the Lord finally does it himself. Now, this also tells me a lot about my Lord. He could have commanded one of them to do it, couldn't he? And they probably would have done it. I'm pretty sure they would have done it. But he doesn't. He does it himself. First Peter chapter 5. Peter will think back maybe to this scene. You elders, the elders among you, serve by example, see, like our Lord did. You don't wait for someone else to do it. You have a burden of your heart, a certain aspect of ministry. Go do it. The burden's been given to you. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Don't wait to have a big show of it and a big, uh, well, we need to have a program of social. Just go do it quietly, too, like our Lord, without drawing attention to ourselves. So our Lord then addresses Peter, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. So what I'm doing, now what was he actually doing? He's physically washing Peter's feet. What I am doing now, you don't understand. You think what our Lord is saying, you don't understand that I'm physically wanting to wash your feet? You think that's what he's trying to tell him? No, he's obviously saying that there's a spiritual lesson here. You obviously understand the physical one, and that's why you're withdrawing. You're saying, I'm, I shouldn't be washing your feet physically. But he says what you're not understanding now, you will later. And I think for sure, if not before Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, then they began to understand. How do we know that? Because later in chapter 14, in verse 26, the Lord says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you most things. The Holy Spirit will come. He will teach you all things. Now, he'll say that again in chapter 16, too. So that is an element of need that they had and that we have, too. And why we need to be born again to understand spiritual truth. So the Lord's telling him, you don't understand now, but you will after. And so Peter then says, you shall never wash my feet. Not you, Lord. You're not going to. And then the Lord says to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Fellowship. Communion with the Lord. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You're out of fellowship with me if you're not spending regular time in the word of God for the washing of your feet in the spiritual sense. What Paul will call in Titus 3.5, the ongoing renewing of the Holy Spirit. The agent being the word of God by means empowered, energized by the spirit of God. That's why we spend time regularly hopefully daily, in the Word of God. In fact, it's a good prayer when we come to the Word of God. Lord, wash my feet, because every day our feet get dirty out in this world. Every day. And you don't want it to pile up, because then it kind of gets caked on there, and it takes more time in the Word to get it cleaned off. It's better to stay clean daily in the Word. 
So that's another rich part of spiritual instruction the Lord gives through the discussion with Peter. And then he says, after Peter says, well, then not my feet, only my hands and my head. I, I want to be clean all over for you, Lord, if it's going to keep me out of fellowship with you. So you see, Peter understood that no part with me. He wanted to have a part with the Lord. And then the Lord says in verse 10, he who is now he changes the word in the Greek and in the English. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Okay. He who is bathed, that's all over. That's what Peter was just addressing, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Because our Lord knew Judas wasn't clean. So there's two aspects of the cleansing he's talking about. There's the bathing all over. And that occurs one time. And there's the washing of the feet. And that occurs continuously. Hopefully daily. And that's probably summarized best. In Titus 3.5, remember Paul says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, He saved us through two things. Through the washing, the bathing all over, of regeneration, the new birth. That's what regeneration means. Palangenesia, born again, born anew. And that's a one-time thing. It's an aorist tense. And... The renewing in the continuous present tense of the Holy Spirit. So there you have the two aspects of salvation. One time washing all over. It's pictured also in the Old Testament with the priesthood at the labor. You remember when the priest, remember Aaron and his sons were brought to the labor. There was a one time washing all over that wasn't repeated until the next priest came in to replace him. But then they had to wash their hands each time they came to the tabernacle or the temple at the labor. Same kind of a picture. The labor being a picture of the word of God as it washes us. In, in chapter 15 and verse 3, he tells them, You were already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So the word of God is the agent for that cleansing and our response to it. That is, our receiving of it. In understanding and application. But not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So he defines the not all of you. In that context, we might think, well, not all of us. You mean not all of us all over in the bathing? Is that what you're talking about? No, John is careful under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to tell us in the next verse. The not all of you refers to... He knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all of you clean. He's talking about Judas. And then verse 12 to 17. Now he applies this very important truth to them. And this to me is staggering. It's already staggering to me that the son of God would do this. There are other ways he could have taught this, perhaps. But this is the way God chose to communicate the truth of the bathing all over, the washing of regeneration, 
and the ongoing renewing of the Holy Spirit. So someone says, well, I've been, I was born again. I went before the bonfire at camp and put my stick in the fire in, you know, 20 years ago. And I, Well, how often have you been in the Word since then? Well, I, I don't have time for the Bible. I'm a very busy man. I've got all kinds of things I'm involved in, and I'm raising my kids, and I'm involved in the community. You don't spend time in the Word of God? No, I don't spend time in the Word of God regularly. Well, then you have no part with, him, with me, according to the Lord. You're out of fellowship, see. You may be saved, and you are, but you're not useful. You're not going to be bearing fruit. Whatever service you're doing is going to be wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ. You're just wasting your time. You're like the squirrel in the squirrel cage, spending all kinds of energy but going nowhere. Don't you want to be useful for the Lord that you love? I sure do. I'm sure you do too. So our Lord then, verse 12, when he had washed their feet, including Judas's, and taken his garments, he sat down again and said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? <laughs> I love that. They obviously didn't, right? They're struggling with it. Don't forget, this is before Pentecost. We can look back. We've got the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that same blessing yet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Don't miss that. You call me teacher and Lord. That word Lord, kurios, could also be translated Jehovah, because it's the same word in the Greek, whether it's the Tetragrammaton or Adonai. You call me Jehovah, you call me teacher, and so I am. Rightly so. And then he switches the order, you notice. <laughs> you call me teacher and Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher. <laughs> That's the right order. See, they were maybe struggling still, some of them with his deity, as some Christians still do today. I talk to Christians in different places, and they don't understand, really, when you hear them speak about the Lord Jesus, that he's God. You believe Jesus is God? Because if he's not God, you're still in your sins. <laughs> he had to be God to save you. And the Lord will say that in John chapter 8. So it's very important, and our Lord stresses it here. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say rightly, I'm your Lord and your teacher. So if I'm your Lord, is your master, your God, when I ask you to do certain things, you should want to do them, right? As a servant serving his master. So if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Wow. Now the Lord washing the feet to demonstrate the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, that I get. I can see him. But now he's moved it into application. And he says, if I've done it, you also need to do it with one another. See, I am my brother's keeper. <laughs> Not like Cain. And I do have a responsibility for my brothers and sisters. And you have a responsibility Toward me, particularly in this area of cleansing for fellowship. 
You say, well, that's just what the elders are supposed to do that. Well, the elders have a special role in that, but we all have a responsibility, and the elders can't know every one of us to the same detail that some of us do in our own circles. And so we're... Remember, we're to be careful how we do this, right? When we hear a brother or sister talking to us about something they're struggling with in regard to decision-making or regard to worldly influences, and we know a scripture that the Holy Spirit puts on our minds to point them to, that's an opportunity to wash their feet, right? But we want to be careful how we do that, too. We don't want to do it in a condescending way like, you know, my boss used to do when he'd look over at the top of his glasses like that. You don't do it like that. You don't use ice-cold water and you don't use scorching hot water. You're gentle and condescending like our Lord was. It takes a great deal of sensitivity. It takes prayer. It takes being careful in our timing because we love one another We don't want to unnecessarily offend or cause a brother or sister to stumble, right? I know you're thinking, well, the easy way out is just to keep my mouth shut about it, right? Maybe I won't even if I know and the Lord's putting it on my heart to point a brother or sister to a certain verse. I'm just going to... Well, then you're not fulfilling this command. We do have a responsibility in this. We're a community. And that's what he's going to stress all the way through the rest of 13 and into chapter 14. This is the save the redeemed community. And it's more than just gathering on the Lord's Day and on Wednesday night or Tuesday night or whatever night we choose. It's a whole lifestyle. It's a daily outlook. And to me, that brings in an adventure to the Christian life that No world religion even comes close to. No ritual religion even comes close to this. This is real life. To participate with God in this work. That's what he's inviting them to do. He's really commanding them to do, isn't he? So he says, If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you... An example that you should do as I have done to you. Notice, as I have done to you in a similar, humble, loving way. That's how he has done it. That's how John's told us. And most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. You call me Lord, well, that means I'm your master. And the servant's not greater than the master. So if the master's willing to do this, then the servant ought to be willing. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And they're going to, the apostle means sent ones. They're going to be sent by the Lord. And that doesn't mean they're greater than the one who sent them. The one who sent them is greater, right? So if, if I then, your Lord and master and teacher, do these things among you, then you ought to be willing to do it among one another after I'm gone. And he knows he's departing, going back to the Father. So in a masterful way, he's preparing them, isn't he? 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's one thing to know these things. And some have criticized our groups because we have lots of head knowledge because we're so focused on the Word of God. And thank the Lord for that. But the criticism is it doesn't go to the next step to application. And maybe that, that's warranted, but I think all groups could warrant that too. That doesn't mean we stop studying the Word of God and we stop coming to the Word of God for cleansing. But it means that we need to be more careful about making sure we apply what, that's where the blessing is. Blessed are you when you do the things that I have given you an example in doing. And we do it because it's a privilege. Now, how does that work? If the primary agent for the cleansing is the word of God, and I could give you other verses. So I mentioned Ephesians 5 this morning, you remember? How our Lord cleanses is an example with his church, like the husband with his wife. The washing of the water of the word. And it's all through the Old Testament symbolism, the washing with the word. How does that work out in practice? Well, we mentioned, I mentioned an example earlier. But we participate in the washing of regeneration. How? Not because someone believes our word and gets saved. But when we share the gospel of the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ with someone else and they come to know the Lord. And if you've never had that experience, it's one of the most unparalleled experiences on this earth to see someone go right before you from death to life right before you. The soul just becomes alive. And we get to participate in that because he wants to work through us to share the gospel with others. Others in your own sphere of influence. Paul will talk in 2 Corinthians 10 about each of us having our own sphere of influence and service. And your sphere will be different from his sphere and her sphere and my sphere. Each of our sphere, each of the kind of lives that we contact outside the assembly. In the assembly, our spheres are pretty much similar most likely, but outside it's different. And there are people the Lord wants to contact. And you don't have to have a big evangelism campaign to do this. You don't have to wait for revival week or a certain time of the year to do this. We, want to, we should be about doing this every day. Whoever we come into contact with, with a level of expectancy too. Prayerfully. Start the day before we go to work, before we go to school, before we go. Lord, introduce me today to someone that you want to hear the gospel. You know their hearts. I don't let's say see their hearts. You know their situation. Help me to be sensitive to how I share it in their situation. Because you have left me here and appointed me for that purpose. And it's a special privilege. Not all of us have the gift of evangelism. But remember Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We can do the work of it even in the, in the sense of sharing and living the gospel, right? We live the gospel as we share it. So they're going to listen to and watch what we do and listen to the words we say even when we're not talking about Jesus Christ in the Bible, right? And that comes back to having part with him. 
the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Why we need the ongoing renewing of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be effective in sharing the gospel if our feet are dirty from the day before or the three days before or five days before if we let it pile up. The washing of regeneration, ongoing renewing of the Holy Spirit. But there's a special element of privilege when we are used by the Lord to help restore a brother or sister. Remember how Paul put it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. What kind of people are to be involved in that kind of work? To restore you who are spiritual, right? And you say, well, then, then who are... Well, I know we all like to think I'm the spiritual one here in this group, right? We all think... But he's already told us in chapter 5 who the spiritual ones are. Who are the spiritual ones? Galatians 5, 22 and verse 23. Just a few verses before. The spiritual ones who are the ones who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. Not perfectly. And not all of these ninefold characteristics at the same degree, but growth in all of them. That's what the mature one is. That's what the one is. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So that's a part, a special element of the foot washing. Someone who's already saved. They've already experienced the washing of regeneration. But for some reason, and there can be lots of reasons, why a born-again Christian can get away from the Lord. It starts usually with getting away from the Word, doesn't it? On a regular basis. But then it, it expands. And the further, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's a sad phenomenon, but it's a, it's a real one. That when a born-again Christian gets away from the Lord, one of the first things they stop doing is being with other Christians, and the other Christians are the ones who can wash their feet to bring them back to the Lord, but they don't see clearly, see, because they're away from the Lord, so they're not thinking clearly. And the very people who could help them the most, they begin to distance themselves from. But we need to be aware of that. You who are spiritual, recognize that. So you're not going to come in and give them a big lecture and put them down, because our Lord wouldn't have done that. But in a sensitive, loving, compassionate way, seek to bring, and there again prayer comes in, Lord, show me a scripture that would help this brother or this sister. And I think it's, especially these days, but probably in any days, brothers with brothers and sisters with sisters, these men going to help sisters, is there's a big danger to that. Okay, they should go in twos anyway, but still, sisters with sisters, brothers with brothers. When we're talking about this level of intimate work spiritually, to help show them, a, Lord, show me the scripture. And it's amazing what he, he'll show you a verse in Ezekiel, he'll show you a psalm verse. And you pray over the verse, you pray over your going to the person before you go. And then you pray while you're going. And then silent, you're praying while you're sharing it with them. And then you pray after you've left. Because this is spiritual work. And he's invited them and us to participate in it. Well, then in verse 18, he says that 
horrific statement in some respects. I do not speak concerning all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. The last psalm in book one of the Psalter, a Davidic psalm, Psalm 41. David experienced this himself through his counselor, Ahithophel. Remember? I think it's in Psalm 55. He says, we went up to the house of the Lord together. We worshiped together. We served together. Apparently for years, Ahithophel was probably a skilled counselor in some of the military campaigns that David did, as well as his governing Trusted friend, loyal friend. And that's really the test of staying loyal to the Lord Jesus, isn't it? A test of holiness to stay loyal to him even when a person like that turns against us. Don't be surprised if it's going to... I hope it doesn't happen in your lifetime. It's happened in my lifetime already. It may happen again. I mean, when we're serving the Lord, it's up to him. But someone who, a close, trusted friend. And this, this picture, I remember trying to imagine, well, how, lifting up the heel, how can that be? What does he mean, lifting up the heel like this? And some have taught, and I think it's probably more accurate to say, no, it's lifting up the heel like this. It's an old trick some of my colleagues in grade school used to do, you know. You come walking up close behind them, and they lift up the heel, and you're not expecting it, and boom, down you go, right? Right on your face, lifting up the heel. It's an awful thing to do to someone because they're least expecting it. And that's part of the treachery of Judas Iscariot. He's going to do the greatest amount of harm he can in his scheming under the guidance of Satan, because Satan put the thought in his heart. And our Lord begins to call him out. So, beloved, even here, even with make-believe disciples, who aren't really disciples, so we put disciples in quotes, but make-believe Christians, pretend Christians. And believe me, in America... There are lots of them because in America, in China, not so much because Christians are persecuted there. Parts of India, and it's really growing in some parts of India. I was uh, reading about that recently. Some of the persecution of Christians in certain states in India has really gotten terrible. And in parts of northern Africa, but in America, it's cool sometimes to be a Christian up to a certain point. It may help you advance in your career to a certain degree. So there are a lot of people that can pretend. But we don't need to worry about that. We don't need to come to meeting every Sunday and wonder, well, I wonder which one's a pretender in this group. <laughs> Help me to find them out, Lord. That's the Lord's job, see. And the interesting thing to me is not a one of the disciples thought Judas was it. They thought they could be it, but not him. So we'll look at that, Lord willing, on Tuesday night. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for these instructions from your blessed Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. How he thought of everything. 
And you sent him to that purpose. And we're safe in your loving arms, Father. And what a delight that is. What a security that is. But you've also called us and equipped us by your Holy Spirit and prepared us through instruction in the word of God how you can use us to help others, to restore genuine born-again Christians who have gotten away from you, to be an instrument in your hand for that purpose, and to be an instrument in your hand in bringing someone who's lost and headed for a terrible eternity back to you and to life in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we're moving into the beginning of a new week. We pray you would be keeping these thoughts in our minds through the week and that we'd be prayerful about how you would use us, each one of us, in our own sphere. I thank you for everyone that's here. Pray that you'll give us journey mercies as we travel home this evening. We thank you, O Lord, for all you do, for all of who you are, for your awesome character. You are faithful and reliable. We pray in our Lord Jesus' blessed name. Amen.